don't put that in the podcast. (laughs) 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 I forgot we were recording. (laughs) Sounds like a good cold open to me. (laughs) Welcome to Talking Underwater. One water. One podcast. I'm Lauren Baltus, Managing Editor of Stormwater Solutions. I'm Lauren Estes, Managing Editor of Water Quality Products. And I'm Bob Crossan, Managing Editor of Water Waste Digest. It's May. <laughs> yes, it's May. <laughs> We've all, um, well, I, Lauren and I have both finished buyer's guides, so we're yep. kind of coming down from that. And then, have do you even have a buyer's guide? Oh, yeah, it's approaching. Oh, yeah. It's August. It's in August, okay, yeah. So we'll have a lot of fun with that one, too. But, um, yeah, but... I just got back from the SWAN conference this week. Uh, it's a smart water area uh, or smart water networks forum. They um, it's basically a bunch of thought leadership on s- smart water and how it's evolving and changing. Um, and before we moved on on to like news, I just wanted to mention some of the key takeaways that I took from that. Um, one was the collaboration between um, the, just collaboration in general, including collaboration between. Um, competitors within the industry. So a lot of there was a lot of talk about how it's really important that like sure it's important for the bottom line of a company to like get these products out there but it's also important from an industry perspective that they all kind of unify around the messaging of smart water and talk about things in the same way so that they can address issues of trust, they can address issues of water equity and um, all that kind of stuff that can be solved using this type of technology. So that was the number one thing. And then, like like I had mentioned, trust, I think, is the other one. That one was a big talking point about really trying to get people to trust AI and machine learning, mm-hmm. um, specifically because a lot of utilities are reluctant to do that because there's a lot of risk involved with consent decrees and um, certifications and like one bad apple could really spoil the bunch for a lot of people mm-hmm. so like if for a utility that had an AI or machine learning pro- project and then one small thing went wrong and it created a major major headache it sets them off for mm-hmm. um, for AI and machine learning from there on out because they're like oh I'm never going to trust it again well, creates too much head work so many of these utilities have been doing have had the same processes for so long mm-hmm. and they've worked well and they've been cost effective mm-hmm. so they're um maybe hard for them to see some of the reasons to take on that risk yeah yeah for sure um and then one of the other interesting tidbits i wanted to mention too was uh, i was talking to somebody from um from a company there who digitizes engineering plans and stuff mm-hmm. and they said that the average amount of time that it takes to find one plan is 37 minutes that's a ridiculous amount of time to find one physical copy of something. Yeah. Um, so they're trying to digitize things to make it easier to find it through a digital network and whatnot, but you still have to go through the process of 37 minutes to find yep. each individual. <laughs> like, it's a lot so. of time up front, but ultimately saves time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I thought that was interesting. That was just a side note. Um, but to move before um, and before we move on, I wanted to mention too, so while we I did go to this event, um, we're also going to be involved with the Water Expo, which is also in Miami, Florida. That's where Swan was. 
Um, it's in Miami, Florida, August 28th and 29th. Um, it covers water, wastewater, sewer infrastructure, environmental services, portable sanitation, um, water quality, and high-pressure industries. And then I also looked at some of the sessions, and I saw stormwater management was mm-hmm. kind of um, sparsely populated in there. But what really makes this one in- interesting is that it's um, a really international show. It has uh, attendees and exhibitors from over 40 countries, mm-hmm. and um, primarily from Latin America and the Caribbean and, and the U.S. So it'll be a cool mix of people and um, a part of um, kind of a market that we haven't really touched on when it comes to South America so much. So yeah. it'll be really interesting to learn um, about the issues that they're dealing with yeah. and mm-hmm. how does that relate to our, to the U.S. And are there certain way, um, projects or processes in the U.S. that could be um, implemented in Latin America to solve some of those yeah. problems too. Especially so. considering all those storms mm-hmm. that have ravaged that area. Yeah. And I'll be attending that. Um, I think that both... Lauren and, and yeah, Lauren that you guys are <laughs> traveling, but um, I'll be doing a presentation on state of the industry, including information from both of them. So that's yeah. really exciting too. Covering stormwater and drinking water, as yeah. well as wastewater. Yep, exactly. So anyway, we can move on to news now. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Do you want to kick it off, Lauren? Um, so the Environmental Working Group just released a new interactive map mapping PFAS contamination across the country, and it's a really interesting map. So far, they have cited 610 sites across the country in a total of 43 states known to be affected by PFAS in drinking water systems, serving a total of 19 million people. And what's really interesting about the map is you can see really where these clusters are like where they're finding a lot of contamination, specifically around military sites and um, airports where people test firefighting foam. Um, And if you look at the map, you'll see that Michigan is like just this giant dot of PFAS contamination. And I think the reason that is, is not because there are more uh, military bases or airports in Michigan than any other state. It's because they're looking so closely for it. And Michigan does statewide, uh, they have a statewide testing initiative where they literally test all their public water supply system. So they're Mm -hmm. finding it because they're looking for it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something we're going to start seeing more Mm -hmm. across the country as, you know, it's just a continued conversation of people just being really aware of it. And even in Pennsylvania now, they've announced plans to just recently, just this past week, they've announced plans to start doing a similar statewide testing initiative. So oh, interesting. it'd be interesting to see what they find as well, if other states are picking up on this and mm-hmm. how the trend goes. Yeah. I, th- I think you're totally right. It's going to be, like, states are all going to start mm-hmm. looking at this, especially, like, especially now that EPA is looking at an action, has an action plan and everything. They're going to be looking at it a lot more closely now, too, so... Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what the timeline of that action plan really is because mm-hmm. a lot of people are wondering if they're going to enforce a new uh, a maximum contaminant mm-hmm. level in MCL and what their timeline is for that exactly because states are starting to just set their own limits in response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of those, one of those like, is it the state's responsibility mm-hmm. or is it the federal government's responsibility and where where does that lie? Yeah. So... And then personally, as someone who's living in Chicago, in Illinois area, you know, we've had a lot of problems with lead around here. I'm interested to see um, 
if people do start testing for it more in Illinois and what, mm-hmm. what will we find here once it, awareness is it raised It takes so more. long for Chicago to even start testing for lead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not hopeful. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> not to be harsh, but... Yeah. I mean, a lot of states seem like they're far behind Michigan. Yes. Like, it's not just Definitely. Illinois. It's, like, I'm, na- nationwide. I mean, looking at this map, the whole Midwest is kind of a gap right now. What's this over here? I can't uh, even see the state because it's covered in so many dots. Delaware and New Jersey. New Jersey. That makes sense to me, too. Yeah. I know the yeah. Northeast specifically. There's a lot of plants there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, re- I remember when I first heard about PFAS, it was all northeastern states that yeah. were yep. mentioning it at that time. There's a lot of power plants there and military bases. What mm-hmm. I think what would be interesting, Lauren, is if you screenshotted this map and then looked again in like a year. Yeah, that's, that's a good idea because I know they are always updating it mm-hmm. based mm-hmm. off of the latest te- mm-hmm. testing data. Um, so. We could even post this, yeah. mm-hmm. post it on our Facebook group and yeah. on social media. Yeah, well, we can include it in the show, no- show notes too. Definitely. So yeah. Cool. Go ahead. Yeah, um, the one thing that I brought news-wise is um, from U.S. Water Alliance, the National Blue Ribbon Commission on On-Site Non-Potable Water Systems. So um, the U.S. Water Alliance partnered with Water Research Foundation to establish this commission, um, and it's about trying to create pro- like trying to generate progress for solutions for one water management. Um, and specifically using on-site water systems that collect wastewater, stormwater, rainwater, and all those different types mm-hmm. of water, and then yeah, the one water use that. Yeah, and then using them for um, for flushing, for showering, for irrigation, um, all that kind of stuff. So it's all for non-potable needs at this point. Um, for this commission, this focused on not so much the potable side, which makes sense because potable reuse is. Um, there's no real good regulatory framework in most of the country, most of the U.S. so far for potable reuse. So, but anyway, I wanted to touch on that. I think that it's yeah. it's really it could be really cool. It's going to be a good forum for all those people to talk about stuff. Um, and they mentioned too that they're looking to craft guidance and frameworks for uh, for these um, systems and everything too. So. Um, it sounds like a, a good commission that they're they're creating here, and I'm sure that we'll probably learn more too um, after the One Water Summit or at the One Water Summit as well later this year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Highlight that. I wanted to bring up real quickly. Um, in Canada, the government of Canada is funding um, a flood mitigation projects, um, especially in Sussex. They're um, the let's see, what's the number? The National Disaster Mitigation Program right now is funding $637,500 to New Brunswick for this um, preparedness for funding. And um, I just wanted to point this out because it's really cool that they're funding this at the federal level because yeah. um, we uh, have a lot of um, issues funding infrastructure at the federal level in the U.S. It's something that keeps bubbling up. Um, and I thought that this was a really cool initiative and a nice model. Um, and so I just wanted to point that out. We have a full news item on it on eStormwater.com if you want to check it out. What are they specifically using the funding for? What kinds of projects are they going to be doing? Um, 
They will be funding the design and construction of a flood berm and a stormwater pumping station. Nice. Cool. Yeah, yeah and then um, for this week, we or for this week, for this month, <laughs> rather. <laughs> um, month, it's all the same. Yeah, so um, in the May issue of Water and Waste Digest, we had 10 young professionals, and so for this month, we wanted to feature one of them on the podcast, and um, that ended up being Samantha Copples. She's the communications manager for Daphne Utilities in Alabama. Um, she's 34 years old, and um, she's done a ton of outreach stuff with her job in Alabama, and in fact, Daphne Utilities won one of our top projects, I think two years ago, they had repurposed, um, a, or they redesigned a pump station in a residential neighborhood to look like one of the homes that would exist in that residential neighborhood. It was a really, yeah. really cool and cute yeah. project and like totally took the neighborhood's considerations into concern. Um, so being able to talk to her and kind of hear a little bit more about her involvement with Daphne Utilities and kind of the culture that she's um, a part of and how she's doing outreach was really interesting. So here's our interview with Samantha Copples. Hello, everybody. We are here with Samantha Copples. She is the communications manager for Daphne Utilities, and she's also one of WWD's young professionals for 2019. Um, welcome, Samantha, to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, not a problem at all. So I guess we can just get started kind of with the broader um, things. How did you get to the position that you are with Daphne Utilities? It sounds like you um, you put a lot of effort into getting where you are. We want to talk to you a little bit about how you got there. Yes, I did. So um, I've been here for about five years, and when I first started, they were just really looking for someone to come in and coordinate events. Um, but I have, you know, the degree in marketing and I really have kind of moved it up to more of a marketing department. So it's just not that we're, you know, out giving away free stuff. We actually have a purpose and a strategic plan behind it. Yeah. So what, um, what goes into making those kinds of, uh, programs, those kinds of events? Well, we do, um, I think over like 28 events, um, through the year with the city and just events that we help through like different runs and stuff. But, um, we actually, we do water, sewer, and natural gas. So we actually have a natural gas, um, cooking trailer truck, I guess kind of like a food truck. And we cook at different events. And so we do all the setup for that. And then we also have a new water bar that we recently got. And we take that out into festivals and stuff, and we actually conserve up some tap water, um, chilled tap water, to um, some of our community members at different festivals and events and stuff like that. Gotcha. And um, it sounds to me like you, you've actually been able to talk to some of the, like, the uh, school districts and student training um, programs as well. Could you talk a little bit about the youth programs that you're involved in and how you've been able to um, showcase utility industry and what that means for you and as well as for the students. There's several programs that we participate in, and I'll start with kind of like one of our biggest. We're the workforce development sponsor for our Eastern Shore Chamber of Commerce. They have um, two programs under the workforce development. It's the STEP program, which is a student training exploration program, and we're also a sponsor of the youth leadership program. Now, with the STEP program, we have uh, once a year host of students here at our central office where we have all of our equipment and things like that, and they come for like a career-type um, fair day, and 
we serve them lunch and they get to meet all our different departments and see what everyone does here and what it takes to run a utility. And then we also take them outside and let them do some hands-on activities because we want them to see what all goes into it. And so they run different line locate machines. They see what it takes to um, work a water pipe and different things like that. And um, our camera trailer that goes into the sewer lines out in the community. So they um, that's always a good thing that we get great feedback from. It's, you know, students who may not be going straight for the college route that could, you know, take a look to see what the utility has to offer. And then with a youth leadership program, that's some of our young leaders here that we uh, sponsor that program. They get to visit area businesses and to see what different um, avenues they have for careers and things like that as well. And on the other side of it, we do get to go into the schools and we do some water festival trainings. They learn about watersheds, um, water filtration, which we're usually big on because that's what we do. We filter their water. They learn about where their water comes from and different things like that. And then we also are a part of the Master Environmental Education Program. It's a part of one of the um, university extension offices that are here locally. And we go into the schools and can teach students about groundwater pollution. So those have been some great avenues for us this, um, the past couple years. Wow, that's a really extensive list of uh, student outreach programs you have going on. What do you find the value of that? Do you find that very rewarding work to do? Yes, we do. I was actually in a meeting this morning with some of our board members, and we were talking about that. It's almost kind of like, you know, the families who are are always working and the kids always have after-school activities, mm-hmm. what's the best way to reach them really is let's get it through their kids because their kids take it home, mm-hmm. oh, look what we learned today, and that's really where they get their attention. You know, not really from the news, and some of them don't get on social media as much just because they're so busy, but really, you know, teaching the kids early of what they could do, what they could take home to show, you know, their parents and loved ones what they could do as well. Mm-hmm. Have you had any experiences with students showing interest in joining the water sector? You know, a lot. And actually, I'll speak for myself, too. Like, I had no idea. My um, father-in-law had sent me the job description, and I was like, I don't want to work for a utility. And now I'm like, I don't want to leave. Everyone should come work here because it's so awesome. Um, There's just, you know, there's so many great benefits of a utility that people don't know. So I think it's really getting out there and letting them know that because they get to come in um, for the career day that I was talking about. They come in and talk to our employees And they get to tell them, you know, a lot of them have been here for years, 10 years, 15 years, and they see that. And they're like, there must be something to this if they've been here for this long. And they get to learn about all the different benefits and stuff like that. And, of course, job stability. It sounds like you were almost a little bit surprised that you um, found out that you enjoyed this job so much and you enjoyed working in the industry so much. Can you talk a little bit about the parts of your job that you like the most or that you find the most rewarding? Yes, I think um, I really like all parts of it just because I do um, get to be creative. And like I said, when I came in, it was more of just kind of events coordination and things like that, which was perfect, but that I've been able to grow it into something much more and um, continue to grow it into an actual marketing and communications department is very exciting for me and to kind of see where we started to where we're going. But then I also love to work with the kids and kind of see their excitement about what the industry is about and different things that we do and the importance of it. That's really exciting, too. One of the things I wanted to ask also is just kind of lessons you've learned along the way. Have there been certain things that you've kind of learned and carried with you um, through your career thus far? 
I would say the biggest thing is, you know, the importance of what we do. And I wouldn't even really say me as much as the people in the field. There's so much, like, really hard work that goes into it. Even this past weekend, I think we had three water main breaks. We had something wrong with a manhole and one of the busiest intersections. So a lot of people don't think about those people and what it takes behind the scenes to make it all work, water and, you know, everything work. There's a lot of people, hands-on, hard work that happens. And and now I think I appreciate that even more. I mean, even when I go out of town, I'm looking, I'm like, there's a lot that goes into, you know, wastewater treatment facilities and then places in, you know, in the community and out in the streets and stuff like that. There's a lot that goes into it. I wanted to... um... Something that we we talk about a lot is this talent pipeline and how um, the water industry in particular um, really needs more young people joining it to kind of sustain it. And mm-hmm. I wanted to hear if you had anything you you would even say to young professionals who are considering joining the water industry um, about their about what their experience could be like or potential advice. Yeah, um, we get that a lot here, too, because when we go out to the schools, you want people to be interested in coming here one day and working. And my thing is, like, with the water and wastewater, um, you just want to know that there's so many different jobs, and it's not just, you know, to me, a lot of them are like chemists. You know, they you're out there testing water. You have to know certain things when they're uh, filtering the water. There's so much that goes into it. It's not just, oh, you're riding around checking water. There's, like so many different parts that make it happen. And I know here they could come in at entry level and we would put them through the training that they need to get the certifications. And those certifications are hard to come by. And that's what I like to tell them too. You don't have to stay with us forever, but if you had this certification, you could move around a lot because a lot of our industry are looking for young people to have those certifications. So I think they would be a hot commodity. Yeah. One of the other things that, um, so I was going to ask as a follow-up to what you were talking about, about um, the people it takes to actually do all of this work. How have you tried to share their stories with the public? How the, I, mean, I mean, you talked about going to schools and talking to kids and stuff. Are there other ways that you've tried to share their stories with um, your community and um, just really showcase them as, as humans as well as their uh, professional work? Yes, I'm so glad you asked that. Um, we're actually, that's like a part of our really strategic communications plan is really humanizing what we do and putting them out there more. So on our social media, I try to make like short little videos of the guys out in the field and, and the ladies and put them out there and their faces out there because they live in a community too. And that's really how we get our highest organic reach is when we put the employees out. And also we recently like, Two seconds ago, I just got the final file. We've um, put together a video that kind of shows that. We're hoping that people get that from the video is we're showing a guy who gets up early every day and he heads out into the field and he works and it's hot and it's a lot of work. And then on the other side of that, his family is getting to enjoy the benefits of his hard work, water, playing in a pool, washing their car, and different things like that. So we're excited to start to put that video out soon. Cool. Um, one of the things that I wanted to touch on that you kind of mentioned there is you said the guys in the field and the ladies. I think that that's an important thing to make sure that we <laughs> yes. that we address too is that it's not just men out there. I think that that's another important factor of what what it sounds like you are doing is you're making an effort to showcase the women in the um, the industry as well. Yes, we have a lot of women that work for us, and even um, I went to a utility management conference um, 
couple months ago and I met two women who ran utilities close to us and I was like, that's really interesting. You just don't really, you know, think that about this industry. And it, to me, that's a good thing to look forward to. I could stay here forever and move up and to different companies and different utilities. And there's a lot of women who work in the field too. They work just as hard as the men do. So we have to make sure that we're always giving them credit too. So my last question for you is um, about the future. You know, you're a young professional who's helping to foster some young professionals yourself. What are some of your long-term goals for you and for your company and the industry as a whole? I think right now is just really moving our you know, my department into an actual communications department. Um, I'm really excited to see where that goes. And then, I mean, who knows, really, like I said before, I never really knew, like, when I was thinking of a career, what what it was I was going to do. But now this is really all I see. And I even talked to my Mm -hmm. general manager not too long ago about those women who ran some utilities that are close to us. And he's like, that could be you here. And so, I mean, to me, I think the opportunities are endless. And I'm excited to see where that takes me. The sky's the limit, absolutely. Yes, which is exciting, especially in a field like this, because it's not going anywhere. Very, very true. Well, thank you, Samantha. Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you joining us on the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you so much, Samantha. We appreciated talking to you and and really learning about um, more about what you do and why it's important. a good I, I really like talking to her yeah she was really she was so nice and it, so smart well it's just and it's really cool to hear how she's working with even the youngest people in her community mm-hmm. to kind of show them things too it's really really cool so well, this is a kind of a pattern I've been seeing in the stormwater sector as well as um, this kind of grassroots I guess marketing or just mm-hmm. educa- educating the community at the mm-hmm. at the um, at that level is really getting them involved in the water industry, which is cool. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's good for for uh, like science, technology, engineering, and math as well. Like yes, you know, definitely. it's just good for STEM. Oh, so, yeah. um, speaking of that, um, we uh, have some um, nominations open for WWD and SWS top projects. Um, they're stormwater's are due August first. Mm-hmm. What are yours? And um, water and waste digests are due July fifteenth. Okay. Um, we also have industry icon open for mm-hmm. nominations right now for water and waste digest. So, if you have somebody in the industry who's like really dedicated a lot of their time, their energy toward not just their job but also the things outside their job being part members of boards being advocates for the industry um, being mentors for people in the industry mm-hmm. to bring them up someone who's kind of gone beyond mm-hmm. the um, the call of duty when it comes to the water and wastewater industry um, definitely nominate them we have a form on our website we'll be sending out some emails too so um, hopefully you can check it out there but yeah definitely do some definitely nominate for top projects and for industry icon yeah. for all of our brands who's that person that everybody knows in the industry that deserves this recognition and and would never nominate themselves like you know that that's the person yeah. who uh, is really yeah. um, deserving of something yeah. that kind of recognition so and we'll be at ACE, booth number 1209, mm-hmm. so be sure to stop by. Yeah. 
Well, you won't be at Ace. But I know, but I, Laura and and as I a are. team, we'll be represented at yeah, Ace. We'll so. be represented at Ace. So definitely stop by our booth uh, to chat with us and um, provide some feedback. Um, and then I guess just normal housekeeping. Um, we're on, <laughs> again, we're on iTunes, we're on Google Play, we're on Spotify. If you have some time, please uh, subscribe, send a, or uh, drop in a review on iTunes especially. That's super helpful. It can bump us up in rankings and make, pe- make us a little more visible. Um, but, yeah, definitely always looking for feedback as well beyond just the reviews and everything so if you have any ideas on what we should cover or if you have people that you think we should talk to you can reach us at talking underwater at sgcmail.com and don't forget our facebook group yes our join facebook group gra- uh join the conversation yep absolutely and, and share with your friends yeah <laughs> or co-workers yeah Let's spread this this podcast out to a wider audience, get some more people interested in water who may not know that they are interested in water quite yet. <laughs> okay, thanks everybody. See you next month. Yep, see you next month. See you after Ace.